As followers of Jesus in the midst of another polarizing election season, we don't have the choice to walk away from our responsibility to change broken policies that are breaking our neighbors or to end relationships with our family and friends who might think differently than we do. That's why this season of the Everyday Peacemaking Podcast is exploring how we are to engage politics as citizens of the kingdom of God and the United States. It's going to be hard and messy, but it's holy work, and we're here for it all. Thanks for joining us for Peace in Politics, becoming everyday peacemakers in and outside of the voting booth. Hey, okay, John. Rita. Hello. Hey. How are you? Listen to that voice. You have healed. I know. I, Resurrection I, has occurred. Yes, I, yes, I'm not death warmed over. I, I have resurrected. Never fear, she hath risen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I'm so glad to be out of this because my kids went back to school. So I get to enjoy my house, a yes. quiet house with full health. So hallelujah. How are you? you? I know that big things are going on in your life. Big things are happening. Yeah, kids went back to school this week too, uh, mm-hmm. which was great. It just meant that we had more space in our house to move everything. So we're moving yeah. down the street, yeah. but in a place we're really excited about in our same neighborhood uh, and community. But life is not peaceful at the moment. We're talking about peace. Yeah. It doesn't. I'm not really exactly sure what that means on a personal level, but it's oh, come on. It feels good there's and some, right. Right, but there's some flourishing going on in your life. And flourishing. It's peace. Flourishing, God's dream. God's uh-huh. dream. I describe peace as God's dream for the world as it should be. And I feel like yep. God's dream for you and your family is to be in that house. Yep. That, you're, that you guys are going to be able to build community. Man, that's a helpful reframe, Oshid. I needed that today. I'm going to take that <laughs> okay. home as I go pick up the washer dryer. <laughs> well, thank you. We'll talk. Chaos and the peace. Yes. Yeah. Well, I mean, we're talking about reframe. Our guest today was somebody who has really helped reframe a lot of the way that I have been thinking about politics. So we have Nikki Toyama Sito on today. And I caught myself saying a couple of times, wow, I like the way that you said that. That's a that's a reframe. That's a new way of thinking. Yep. So I don't know. I guess I guess maybe I'm bringing the wisdom and gentleness of Nikki into this conversation as you're processing your move. <laughs> that's right. I mean, she is like I think as you listen into this conversation, you are going to be invited into someone who's done some deep, soulful work and practical advocacy. And she invites us on a spiritual formation journey, which yeah. is really refreshing. Yeah. So enjoy, everyone. Hope you love this conversation with Nikki Toyama Sito. Welcome to our conversation today. Oh, I am so excited because we have Nikki Toyamasito with us to um, continue our ongoing conversation on um, our call to be peacemakers this midterm election season. Um, Nikki, I'm so glad that you are joining us to talk about peacemaking in politics and just kind of just to lay the groundwork. I want to let you know um, kind of how we have been having this conversation here on the podcast so far. So there are kind of three definitions or assumptions that we're working with um, when we're talking about peace and politics, which I think um, as I followed your work, 
And as I have learned from you, I think that I've seen you lead us in extraordinary ways in sort of these three ways of engaging with politics and peace. And so um, when we talk about peace and how I've seen you lead, thinking of peace as the holistic repair of relationships. So we want to think about all the different aspects of a relationship that has been affected by the conflict and division that mm -hmm. often happens with partisan conversations when it comes to politics. And we want to explore how we, we heal those areas interpersonally, interpersonally, and systemically. Um, when we talk about peacemaking, I often like to say, Jonathan, I often like to say, we're not talking about peacekeeping. And that is something that I have seen you lead us so well with is, is inviting us to be brave enough to have hard conversations, not to hold the status quo, which I think mm -hmm. is Mm -hmm. the actual work of peacemaking. So moving towards conflict, having difficult conversations, being brave enough to uh, offer in crit empire or critique to the empire in the way that empire continually um, oppresses people and being a voice for those on the underside of those in, of empire, making room for them to express their discomfort and seek change for them. Um, but that's the work of peacemaking. And I've seen you lead us in that work. Um, and so we're asking, how do we think of peacemaking from that perspective? And then what are the tools that we need to do that work well? And then the last thing that we think about when we talk about politics, we're not talking about partisan red and blue necessarily. Um, we are talking about how do we order ourselves as a society? Hmm. What does a collective flourishing look like for all of us and how do we work together to accomplish that? Um, and so to that end, I am so excited that you're with us. Um, for those of you who are not familiar with Nikki, Nikki is the executive director of, of, of Christians for Social Action. Um, and so she helps us with that, with how to have faith-fueled uh, engagement with our social issues. So how do we marry peacemaking and politics together? Um, and so Nikki, one of the things that I have loved about you and your particular leadership is you um, are not afraid to acknowledge the fact um, that you as an Asian American woman bring your full whole self into this work of peacemaking. And I also think I heard you once call yourself um, Oh, what was it, a disruptor? I've heard you like re <laughs> reference disruption and entering into that. So I want to learn a little bit more about you. How did you get to that place? It, uh, I heard a story about your great aunt and Malcolm X, and I also know that your grandfather was really important to you. Um, so tell us a little bit about how you stepped into this work, particularly in your identity as an Asian American woman with leadership here. Yeah, no, absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. And I, I just love this conversation and the space that you all are holding. Um, I got into the work of justice uh, and peacemaking um, in a way that I think was a little bit of a, of a funny uh, way. I think one of the things that um, came, came out of, uh, uh, I'm Asian American. And so okay my family story, where we came from and all that kind of uh, thing is, is it's like part of my present, you know, it's, it's not a, a history that exists, but it's, uh, there, there's a deep connection, I think with both the history and also just kind of like a, a larger story. Mm. And, um, I think one of the things that was really formative for me, um, is, uh, my, uh, grandfather was part of, um, the mass incarceration of Japanese Americans during uh, world war II. And uh, he's he, uh, down from the Los Angeles area and uh, his family was you know, sent to the camps. And, um, and there's a picture that I have uh, that was in a, a magazine. Um, 
with him and his American uh, U.S. sergeant's uniform and his parents, and they're all in the camps with his brother. There's a picture right before his parents were deported to Japan. So I just feel like in that picture kind of captured the three different experiences that Japanese American folks had. Hmm. And I think there was something that was pretty powerful for me about this, the way that that experience of having your own government kind of turn against you and and incarcerate you, uh, the way that folks were treated and and that sort of a thing that as I came into my faith, realized um, that where there isn't a lot of record of people sort of standing up and calling out that injustice, I wanted to be um, a person who sort of bears witness to to God, who is a peacemaker, who, who is mm. one who is a, a maker of, of things being right, and that there is faithful actions we can take today mm. that both restores what happened in the past and sets up new, new patterns and foundations for the future. It's like a paraphrase of Isaiah 58. Yeah. So I think I'm very motivated by that. Um, but I felt like in the U.S. context, it's like, what, what are Asian women allowed to do? Like, <laughs> they're allowed to be like, newscasters and like the villain in uh, like a superhero movie. <laughs> like, what are we allowed mm-hmm. to do? And actually it was a story of my great aunt, Yuri Kochiyama, um, who really like helped me to recognize like, no, participating in this peace- peacemaking today, engaging with systems, that is just normative for mm-hmm. Asian men. So uh, Yuri Kochiyama was a companion, uh, one of the, the people who worked alongside Malcolm X. And, um, and I think the thing that I really draw from her and her life um, is I love the way that she walked and journeyed both with integrity in her own story and mm-hmm. alongside others who were kind of co-agitators um, mm-hmm. in this unjust world. And so I think that I feel like um, she embodies something that I sort of dream would be mm. true. So as you have been um, in the space of leadership um, and as you have just watched what has happened in the past couple years um, how have you how have you shown up like what has your you know social action and engagement look like in the midst of all that we have experienced in the past couple years the election the pandemic um, even as a faith leader a lot of questioning of, of our identity and our discipleship to Jesus as it's connected to our politics. So yeah, how, yeah. what has the last couple of years been like for you and how have you shown up? <laughs> the last couple of years has been exhausting. <laughs> I mean, just... Can we just forget the last couple of years? Is that an option? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I think as you're asking the question, I think the thing that comes to mind is the word um, embodiment and bearing witness. Mm-hmm. So I, I kind of feel like um, I've been trying to just show up and, and part of it is sort of bearing witness to the character of God right? as, mm. as a peacemaker, as one who renews systems and renews people who renews places and lands and stories, um, but kind of trying to show up. And I think the, the couple of ways that, 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 um, that, that has looked like uh, sometimes it looks like protest. You know, and sometimes it's just showing up in a place and sort of standing like uh, particularly with like the separation of um, children from their families at the border when that was happening. Um, or, you know, I think as the country has gone through um, a wider 
racial reckoning. I think I think some of these stories are not unfamiliar and have a long history, mm-hmm. but I think a, a broader community is more aware uh, of some of this. Um, part of it has been showing up with my body in in mm-hmm. a place it's in in trying to be um, present and um, and sort of declaring uh, what I understand to be God's invitation uh, to His mm-hmm. people. Um, and I think the other thing too is so I, I feel like um, uh, protesting and marching. When I walk around, I feel like those steps are like an act of intercession. It's like, mm. you know, praying God, you know, mm-hmm. come. And then I appreciated there was a, a politician who was also a pastor who had said, you know, every vote is a prayer. It's, you know, right. It's, it's a way of sending up to God a wish for the future. And, you know, so I, I think that I, there's been this renewed understanding of both the invitation uh, interpersonally. Um, and in our personal relationship with God, but also in recognizing um, the way that God is inviting us to also participate in the in the work that He's doing to renew systems mm-hmm. in our society and institutions. Every vote is a prayer. That is good. That's, a, that's such a beautiful way of reframing what our call to peacemaking in this moment mm. could be: renewal and prayer. Yeah, thank mm. you for that. So you mentioned um, systems and structures, Nikki, and that's where we want to jump in a bit uh, in this conversation is asking these two big questions. How do we understand our engagement in politics as a peacemaking practice Mm -hmm. on a systemic Mm -hmm. level? And then on a relational level, how are we maintaining our convictions and and our relationships with those who might think differently than us? Um, But let me start with the first one in, in a bit of a backdrop, because it's so unique having someone like you um, who I've, I've, we've known personally and worked together, but the story is actually much further back when you look at your organization, <laughs> uh-huh. uh, evangelicals for social action started by Ron. That's Snyder, right. That's Ron right. Snyder, who just passed yeah. away recently and his legacy carries on. Yeah. Um, but when you talk about politics and peace, I mean, this guy was yes. at the center of it. We talk about That's 1970s right. and you get so much press about the religious right. And yes. then there was this kind of subversive community, Ron, yeah. Jim Wallace and others That's right. representing yeah. quote unquote, the Christian left, Tony Campolo and the Chicago declaration. Like those of us do some history here. They yes. were trying to call us to a peacemaking ethic in the political sphere. That's right. 50 years ago in the midst of like cross and country empire, marrying uh, religion and the religious right at the same time. Yes. It gave birth to the organization you now lead, which is now uh-huh. Christians uh, using the word Christians instead of evangelicals, which I think is That's interesting. Right. So yeah. here's my question. It's a bit twofold. One, why do we need to think about peacemaking on a systemic level? And, and uh-huh. how does that engage with politics? And then the evangelical thing, if you touch on that, like maybe evangelicalism became so synonymous with a busted form of political engagement that you needed to shift it to Christians for social action. I don't know. Would you invite uh-huh. us, give us some nuance on that and then how, how that informs how we're supposed to show up in the systemic way this mid yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I, yeah, I think I think the thing that's interesting about Ron Zeider, right, he's a Mennonite farmer. And, you know, Mennonites are often associated with peacemaking in an in a way that's a little separate from the engagement with uh, institutions yeah. and, and politics, quote unquote, right? Yep. Um, but I think one of the things that, uh, although, it, 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 you know, it, it's kind of you to credit, uh, these folks uh, for some of what they were trying to agitate and stir up, right? In the Christian imagination way back 50 years ago, mm-hmm. um, they are deeply indebted. And in reality, I think of it more as 
they were trying to help the American church understand the insights that are coming from the Latin American church, mm. uh, from the Rene Padillas and the Samuel yes. Escobars, yes. who had a very strong yeah, sense of Christian faithfulness and how that engages with the very formal political structures, right? Mm -hmm. And so uh, I think part of what they were doing is being good students of what God was doing around the world and recognizing the American church needs to understand yep. some of these key insights that are coming in. And so you get things like the Chicago Declaration for um, Evangelical Social Concern, which was, you know, and then uh, that, that was sort of this declaration. They were going to be anti-militaristic. We're going to fight poverty. We're going to be for the promotion of women and the fighting of racism, mm -hmm. uh, which I'm surprised at how evergreen those commitments still are today. Like, yeah. I, feel, I, I feel like they're sort of prophetic in a way. Yeah. And then the people who wrote that declaration, they said, we're going to gather regularly to live out these commitments. And that group of people who gathered, that became evangelicals for social action a couple of years mm -hmm. later, mm -hmm. who then a couple, in 2020, we changed our name to Christians for social action. Um, and the shift from evangelical to Christian has kind of two different uh, touch points for it. Uh, the first was, you know, um, it was very interesting to notice that newspapers moved evangelicals from their religious beat to their political beat, meaning mm. the reporters who cover yeah. religion yeah. used to be the ones who would cover evangelicals. And then there was a little bit of a shift that yeah. it was actually the political reporters who would cover. And, and I think that sort of mirrors a bit of, uh, of how it was commonly understood. Mm -hmm. And so our shift in the name um, was really an act of hospitality. We recognize there were a lot of folks who were really who wanted to engage their faith with um, the societal issues. They wanted to be peacemakers in the places where they were, and they didn't see themselves, or they weren't calling themselves, you know. And and so and there were so many uh, traditions, particularly from the communities of color, that we mm -hmm. really wanted to learn from. Yeah. And so that, so that's why the shift to uh, Christians for Social Action was, um, I think, people. Think of it as a theological shift. It, you know, we sort of we're saying the still the same people believe in yeah. the same things. Yeah. But it really was an act of hospitality. So. Oh my gosh, I love I love that because I don't know about you, but I have I have felt like we are so bracing and ready for conflict and ready mm, for right. aggression around That's right. this conversation. Yeah. And the, what I have appreciated so much about the way that you're talking about this is the language that you're bringing is very invitational. Yes. It's very hopeful language. And so even thinking of like the, the shift in the name of the organization from evangelical, which can feel gatekeepy for some, mm -hmm. and but Christian, which brings it, opens it up. It's an act of hospitality. And I think also too, when I think about peacemaking and politics, that, that idea of being a Christian, like what does Jesus, how would Jesus look in this? What is Christ yeah. like, like going back to that? That's right. Yeah. Um, I think that that it's, it's incredibly hopeful. So thank you for just that language too. I, I am, you know, I identify with a lot of our listeners when I, when I enter into this conversation, because I am often thinking about our like second big question. Okay, great, great, great. I want to be a peacemaker. I mm -hmm. self-identify as a peacemaker. I have, mm -hmm. you know, studied peacemaking for so many years. I don't know how to do this in a practical way with my friends and family mm -hmm. um, who think differently than me, or maybe I do know, but I don't feel confident. Like I don't mm -hmm. have the right, um, skill set or even maybe like even the right posture going into it mm -hmm. so um 
when we think about being peacemakers in conversations around social action, around conversations around politics, um, yes. how, how do you engage with conversations with people, friends, family, coworkers, like, well, maybe not so much coworkers, but like <laughs> people who disagree with you around this, like, how do you, how do you do this? <laughs> Yeah, I, I I would say I uh I have um learned a lot through making a lot of mistakes. Um, you know, one of the things that Christians for Social Action uh did a year or two ago um was right before Thanksgiving, we did a webinar on how to talk to like how to basically go back home for, for the holidays and how to talk with your family in these really divisive times. It was like our most, you know, attended. webinar um but i think kind of the the main framework is sort of um that i i I think about is and and i'm indebted to kristen komarniki who's our senior director of dialogue about this um but she uses this phrase of um of a of a unity that's deeper than agreement Mm. and and i think that's that's some of the invitation to the christian community is something about a unity because i think we usually think of unity as synonymous with agreement and and so therefore like um but, but what does it mean to have a, a commitment, um, a common commitment, a common um, identity, part of the same Christian family or part of the same biological family um, that uh, has the resilience to make it through disagree- uh, disagreement? Hmm. Or can we only get along with those who agree with us? And, right, and then that's going to have concerning implications. And I, th- and I think one of the things that... Um, I have I have found to be helpful is um, trying to have uh, some points of curiosity, mm. so believing that I think I think if you kind of go oh they think that way because they're deluded or misinformed, you know, all sides think that everyone thinks that they're the one who has the most information, mm-hmm. that those who disagree actually have less or faulty information. You know, uh, what are the things that sort of shape? Uh, yeah. The, the landscape of the disagreement. So I think something about having a level of curiosity and if you can get there, empathy. Mm. I think curiosity is an okay place to start and to end. Um, but I think if you're able to have some level of empathy for, okay, this, why is, why is what this person saying make a lot of sense for who, like, how can I understand something about their story that this explanation makes sense to them? Yeah or that yeah. this posture or position makes sense to them. And if you can get to a little bit of empathy, I, I think that's that's one place. You don't have to change your mind, but I think part of it is it's embody peace, embodying peacemaking in the midst mm. of the disagreement, right? How do we show mm-hmm. up when we're kind? And if you come from a Christian framework, how do you show up with kindness and with affirming the Imago Dei in the other person, in the other community. And at the same time, you know, feeling um, assurance in the story that God is revealing in and to you and through you and your community. Mm-hmm. So, um, so I think there's, uh, those, those are some of the ways, I, I think some of the actual questions that get me, if it's a, it's an actual conversation is, can you tell me more about how you, how you came to that? Or where are the places that you're seeing that happen? Or mm-hmm. it sounds like there's a story behind this. Like, what's what's up? 
Yeah. And I think that's the other way that at least on an interpersonal and particularly with like, I'm going to call it formal politics, like the political system, politics and divisive issues. I yeah. found that if you can engage with the issues more through people and stories and try to sidestep mm-hmm. the talking points, I just, how do, how do we try to keep each other heart to heart a little bit open? But I'm going to say, if you are in a place of not having power, you also have to be protective. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's not hearts yeah. wide open, like damage me and injure me. No. Yeah. That's not smart either. So that's why I kind of would say curiosity is enough. You don't have to go all the way to empathy. Um, but mm. I do think as we talk about politics in particular and politics, as you've defined it, one of the main frames that I also really pay attention to is what's the power lens on this, mm-hmm. you know, and that, that affects how I show up as well. Am I bolder about speaking my truth? Or am I more curious and inquiring mm-hmm. and just present? Mm-hmm. You know, so that that I is usually informed. My posture is usually informed by what I understand about power in the mm-hmm. space where I'm showing up. So so I hear you saying that, not necessarily, it's a bit of a both end in using discernment based on the power structures of the social context. So you're not saying everyone, despite gender and race and otherwise, jump into every conversation with curiosity. And with empathy, because in some cases that can actually re-traumatize people. That's exactly that right. are already being trampled on by all That's these exactly systems right. and relationships. Um, I have a question around like how do we understand then how to engage? Uh, Father Greg Boyle says there's there's no us and them. There's only us. Like we have this binary there's us and there is them and and he invites us to like collapse this gap between us and them which gets us close allows us to be curious and grow in empathy I think it's a beautiful vision Um, but how do we do that without compromising conviction like our own convictions or paying attention to those power dynamics Um, because we want to be curious people I think that's a beautiful fruit of the spirit I think anytime we can grow in empathy we're going to honor the dignity and the humanity and the image of God and our other. Um, but how do we hold all that intention with convictions and these power structures? Yeah. Um, and, and I'll say, I, as I hear it, with all due respect and great admiration for Father Boyle, mm-hmm. as a person of color hearing that, mm-hmm. that usually means I have to suppress about yeah. 80% of what I bring to the table in order for me to enter into the us. Mm. so how creative can we be about our definition of what us looks like yeah and is us robust enough to reflect both not only individual expression and the contribution but also the distinctives of communities who are coming together within a loving relational covenant so I mean, I, and I think that's like a little bit of a longer, maybe a complicated conversation of what that shows up. So I think it's yeah. happy to kind of, I, I, this, I, I think Protestants need to li- live into a little bit more mystery. It's something I appreciate from the Orthodox and the Catholic folks. It's mm. like, hey, I'm not sure, but okay, there's something we're journeying towards, mm-hmm. you know, and, and maybe in a few more years, I'll have the capacity to, mm-hmm. to appreciate whatever God might be revealing. So all, all that to say is that I do think that um, if the us is defined by um, kind of uh, common covenantal relationship, 
it doesn't necessarily translate to the us as we all must become one form. Do you know, does that make sense? So there's sort of this, like, we have this loving commitment to each other, to our community, to our God that holds us together. And is it robust enough to also help us navigate the disagreements, the tensions and the distinctives? You know, the thing to me that I just really puzzled is that, um, and this is such a mystery to me, that, um, that there are folks who wish me harm mm-hmm. and who back everything that really means violence yeah. to me and to my people and to my body and to my children. Mm-hmm. And yet they name the name of Jesus. Mm-hmm. And then there's me who also names the name, you know, and, and, and yeah. God has some sort of relationship with both of us. And I, I don't even know, <laughs> you know, like that to me is something of a mystery. Um, and, and I think some of that just, it, it just makes me feel a little bit more humble mm-hmm. as I try to go forward. Cause I think there's just some things that I don't understand. And to God, I sort of don't agree with, mm-hmm. why don't you cut them out? Keep me yeah. and cut them out. Um, but all that to say, I, th- I think, um, there is something about affirming the, I don't like you, but I'm going to hang with you. Mm. Um, and, and I think it's about having compassion and appropriate boundaries. And that's a little bit yeah. tricky. So I think that's, I think that's the, that's the thing that um, is the work of spiritual formation and mm. friendship with Jesus and all that. Mm-hmm. So what I'm hearing you, um, what I'm hearing you talk about, or what, what's making me think, what I'm thinking about as I'm hearing you talk is, something that I've heard you kind of warn us about. And it's this um, kind of limiting our social action or limiting our engagement to politics to single issue of voting. Mm-hmm. And I think that when I when I encounter people who will hold on, who will vote for something, even though it would cause harm to my body, mm-hmm. to those that I love, mm-hmm. um, or even overturn things that have caught, given people that look like me liberation, mm-hmm. um, I often find that they hold a, a policy or a posture to, to their voting life that is very single issue. Well, I'm a yes. Christian, so I vote for this. That's right. And you have cautioned us, I, I, and, and I've been yes. so appreciative of that caution towards the problem that comes with single issue voting. Can you share a little bit about why that's problematic to you? Because what I, what, the reason why I think that's important is that when we are single issue voters, we're not voting whole, as holistic faith, people with a holistic faith rooted in Christ, um, open to that mystery and that usness. Yes. It's very myopic. So share yes. a little bit more yeah. about that problem. Yeah, I, I think when folks start like, oh yeah, you know, blah, blah, blah. Oh, it's too complicated. I'm a, you know, I'm a single issue voter. Um, that one of the things that it does it just makes me curious. So it prompts the question, how much does the current political, formal political system actually reinforce your place, protect your power and work for you such that you have the luxury mm. of saying, I'm going to let this one issue determine all of that, right? Because yeah. this is all really, really complex. And so I, th- I think, is there a privilege that is revealed by the luxury of being a single issue voter because everything else is kind of covered, protected and aligned. Yeah. Just, yeah. You know, so I think that's the one of the questions and, and exactly to your point that it doesn't engage with the complexity 
Um, and, and that's where I feel like, um, you know, as a Christian who is trying to be a friend of God here in this place, I recognize that I am part of a larger community who has a lot of very diverse experiences and a lot of very different perspectives on politics, the role of government, you know, all these kinds of things. So what does it mean for me to be friend and sibling to, to others who are in my family of God? Mm. You know? and, and what does it mean for me to journey with their story, to hold their story and let that reflect as I think about how I'm going to steward my power, my choice and my vote, you know, and, and I think it's, it's very muddy and it's very complicated. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. that's the work, though, in the practice of discernment, of spiritual discernment. Mm-hmm. Is, you know, so I think it, it's, it's looking at the complexity and sort of saying, God, is there something in this that you are making wiggle for me? Mm-hmm. Is there a particular intercession or prayer? Mm-hmm. And, 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 right, and then I'm going to vote for that as my act of intercession. Lord Jesus, come, come closer to this community in this way. Right. That's, that's what a vote might be. So I I think that um, that's where instead of letting the complexity lead to paralysis, Mm -hmm. what is, what does it mean to sort of say, Hey God, I can't hold all these things, but you do. Mm -hmm. So what is my Jerusalem, my Judea and my Samaria? What is, what is the place where I am already a part of? that you would have me advocate for? What is the place that is adjacent to where I am a part of? I may not be a part of, you know, and then what is this thing that maybe doesn't touch me directly, but it touches somebody who is made in the image of God, that God loves dearly. And how can I be a part? So that's, I kind of, when things get too complicated, I sort of think Judea, uh, Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria. Mm you know, uh, and I let that, and then I trust God to hold the other things, Mm -hmm. but it's sort of a way of acknowledging the complexity and not only voting my interest, but trying to um, vote in a way that sort of says, oh, I believe this to be true about the character of God for all people. As I hear you talk about this, it feels very much like a Engaging politics in this way beyond single issue is very much a, a path of spiritual formation. Or that's exactly leadership. right. I mean, that's it, right. you're talking yeah. about it in a way that's out of, I think, a lot of the categories we have in the United States for engaging politics. And, and I mm-hmm. want to go back to what you mentioned earlier. And I think it was really important for our all of us in our audience to hear that people like Cider and Wallace and Campolo mm-hmm. were learning from people like Rene Padilla and Samuel Escobar, that's right. Americans who were saying, whoa, whoa, whoa. The whole way you're engaging the nation state and the empire is off. Like you That's have right. to have an integral mission. All of yeah. life That's right. is part of God's mission of restoration. Oh. That includes how you relate, you relate to each other and how you relate to your systems. And so they were like this prophetic voice provoking the heck out of people like yes. Billy Graham and others to say, you're doing Making it wrong. Making people uncomfortable. Yeah. <laughs> and, it, and then those guys, like the ciders started to learn from them and, and, and bring it up. That's such good history. But I think it also applies to right now. Yes. Is it, it helps us get out of this binary of like, okay, now I'm going to put my politics hat on and make sure I grab my issue and, and go to, go to bat for it. There's going to be issues that are more personal to us based on our proximity and those we know. And of course, yes. But, but I wonder is, is we move towards the end, if you give us a vision for a holistic way to engage politics Uh uh, on the, on the shoulders of people that have come before us, who are modeling a better way in this midterm season to see that we have to engage systems change as part of our discipleship or our spiritual formation 
Yes. And we have to have discernment on what, how we hand, handle these relationships around us. So I wonder if you have like a, a big picture vision you give us for what that looks like. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think um, one of the things that I think about is um, it, it stems from an experience that I had uh, walking in the garbage villages in Cairo, um, which is where uh, people um, would bring a garbage into their home. And that's how they sorted through. That's how they did waste management in the city of Cairo. And it's a very uh, ostracized group, mostly of Orthodox Christians who mm. did this. And the phrase that comes to my mind is that when God dreamt his dream for his people, this is, this is not God's dream. Like, mm. it, it, it's not supposed to be this way. Mm. And, um, and so I think what is, and at Christians for Social Action, part of what we're trying to do is stir the Christian imagination for not mm-hmm. just um, a, a very narrow lane of what Christian faithfulness looks like both mm. intrapersonally, interpersonally, and systemically. But what does it mean for Christian faithfulness in all these different areas? So I think that's, so I would sort of marry those two. Yeah. That as folks are entering into the midterm season, what is God's dream of full flourishing, both for your community, as you know and understand it, but maybe as a touch point for those who are the most marginalized, yeah. the most powerless, and those maybe who don't even have a voice in this conversation? Yep. And how can it be honoring of the Imago Day in them? Mm-hmm. Right. So it's go in and own your own story and let your story be the doorway to help you have empathy and compassion for those who maybe have no way to vote, to participate, and yet their lives are maybe most closely affected by these things. As yeah. a default, the other thing I do is I, I try to think about who is going to be the most affected by this decision mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and how can I learn or understand on their perspective on this. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So what I'm hearing you um, describe is some is, is a remedy to a problem that you introduced at the, like earlier in our conversation of the power balance and the power mm-hmm. imbalance actually and right. just bringing everybody to a conversation. So yes, let's have a conversation, but not necessarily the con- the end goal of the conversation is that we all agree with each other and we all walk out That's of the right. room with the way that we're going to vote. But how about those of us in power enter into a conversation with those who are disempowered by, who would potentially be disempowered or harmed by a vote and ask them, why do you want this vote? And yes. how would your life mm. flourish uh, because of this vote either way, flourish or That's not right. either way, to That's help right. me understand so that that can inform the way that I use my vote as a prayer on behalf of you for yes. your shalom. Yes. So I think that you just gave us a framework for, yes, po- conversation is an important um, space for us to practice peacemaking, but the kind of conversation that we're having is not the conversation of, again, let's all figure out how we're gonna vote. Let's all like, you know, let's all come to a consensus, whether or not that consensus may cause some harm to others, but how do we almost have a cruciform posture when we yes. enter into these conversations? Yes. Be self-sacrificial. Yes. Am I hearing you right? You you totally are. And I'm gonna t- and and you put it so beautifully. And I'm gonna just press on it just a little bit more to say, and we don't look at those who are being most impacted and perhaps the most voiceless to teach us on it, but how can we have an empathetic presence? Mm. You know, like I, mm. I think sometimes we put the burden on those who mm-hmm. are most burdened to educate us. 
So if you are in the position of power, what does it mean to sit at the feet of, but not demand education from? Mm. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. How, do you, yeah. how, do you, how do you be present? And how can you, through the Holy Spirit, sometimes listen? How, how can you, you know, eh, 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 anyway, so, so, so I think I just wanted to at least float that out there. That's good. Um, yeah. Because I think there is sometimes a way that we don't recognize and we have expectations of people to advocate for and, and, and say and express in the way that we can receive such, such things. But yeah. I would say, you know, help, help me to hear it. And I, that's why I'd be really interested in the different ways your listeners have found for mm. hearing some of that yeah. without necessarily, if that makes sense. So yeah, total. I was inspired total. by what you summed up. um well i really have just loved this conversation where can we find more of your wisdom and your guidance um nikki i don't know if you're gonna find wisdom and guidance but you can find me (laughs) oh i'm on the internet we're here (laughs) (laughs) um my kind of my my uh my home base is christiansforsocialaction.org and then you can follow me on twitter then toyamasito um and, and sort of bopping around in different places, but hopefully you'll find me here with you all again. This is so fun for me. Indeed. Thank you. Yes. Thank you. So the, Oh, go ahead, Nashida. No, go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> We're just asking each uh, guest. Sounds like a simple question, but sometimes it's hard. Uh, where are you finding hope right now? As we, mm. as we embark on another election season and all the other things, what's, what's bringing you hope? <laughs> You know what's bringing me hope is um, is actually watching baseball. Yes, <laughs> and, I'd and say the, that too, but the Giants are sucking right now. <laughs> my, the Nats team? are my yeah. corner team, oh, and we've sold every, like that's it's just terrible. Yeah, that's a um, team right now. So I I think and I say that with some trepidation because I can't drop stats and I don't know certain things, but what I there's certain players that, you know, just things happen. And I think one of the things I appreciate about baseball is um, it is so unpredictable and uh, just things that are not statistically supposed to happen. They happen. I'm also a Cubs fan and we won a world series once in a hundred, you know, like supposed to happen. Yeah. It's not supposed <laughs> <laughs> and, and the Nats made a run when it was, yep. you know, they had a terrible summer season. Um, so and it, you know, it's sometimes it's boring and then sometimes it's exciting. I don't know, not, not to make more and it's anyways, not to make more of it than it is. But um, when, when you asked the question, if I was just being real, real honest, uh, I'm, I'm finding hope at the side of um, a baseball field, because I think um, there is something about loving uh, the way that folks play and the unpredictability and the being very mm. present for something that is sometimes slow and sometimes interesting Mm-hmm. Um, but it also connects me to, um, to my history and my people because, um, baseball, when folks were in the camps, baseball was one of those uh, things that folks had that affirmed their humanity. You know, it's wow. a thing you can do in a dusty desert. Mm-hmm. Um, and so kind of the Japanese American baseball story and the Japanese baseball story through like a, a Shohei Otani or something like that. Those, yeah. those are little things that give me a glimpse of like, ah. Uh, Jesus, the impossible can be possible sometimes in our lifetime. Wow. So. That is a 
beautiful and haunting and wonderful circle back to how we started the conversation in your family of origin, <laughs> Nikki, and what led you into this work. And that gives us hope. And I also just appreciate the accessibility of your response. It wasn't some theological treatise. Yes. I'm a simple person. And we're everyday peacemakers here. We need some. All right. Yeah. That's real simple life. person just trying to put one foot in front of the other. Totally. <laughs> yes. We all are if we're honest. So thanks for being with us, Nikki. This has been a huge gift to all of us listening in. Great. Thanks for having me. Bye. Hello, Everyday Peacemaking Podcast listeners. There's two things with Global Immersion we wanted to let you know about. First, this podcast would not be happening if it wasn't for our Embers community. This is a collective of folks from all across the country and the world who give money every single month to help fund our Everyday Peacemaking resources like our monthly periodical called The Monthly Peace, our daily contemplative contemplative prayers, webinars, and this podcast. So uh, if you'd like to join this community of funders for five bucks a month or 500 bucks a month, we would be thrilled. You can follow the link in the show notes or go to our website, globalimmerse.org, to jump in on that. Second, we're about to open up applications for our 2023 leadership cohorts. Uh, these cohorts are designed for faith leaders who want to go on a journey of discovery in the intimate company of peers and trusted guides. We want to do the slow, hard work that leads to healing and renewed vision for who you are and I am and how we will collectively lead restoratively in the church of the future. These cohorts include in-person retreats, online learning, coaching, and immersive experiences. One, uh, the Journey of Hope cohort culminates in a trip to Northern Ireland to learn from uh, other peacemakers in that global context. And the other, uh, Journey Home, culminates with a pilgrimage on the Camino de Santiago where we seek to confront the conflict within ourselves that inhibit our ability to lead towards equity and justice and peace. So space is very limited. Jump on it and you can get more information and apply in the show notes or go to globalimmerse.org leaders. Nikki's pretty awesome, huh? She's so, oh my gosh, she, her voice is so calming. Like I, I, yeah. I feel weird saying that, but I was just like, oh, we're going to be okay. Like baseball and yeah. like <laughs> prayer. <laughs> we're going to be okay. She's yeah. She's just like super wise and super grounded and accessible. It's just so refreshing. Well, like you already know her, John, like you have, how, how, how did Nikki and you cross paths? Yeah, it was in, um, boy, that's a good question. I don't know if I remember the first interaction we had, but she used to work for International Justice Mission. And that's when we mm-hmm. initially connected. And then when she took over for Christians for Social Action, a lot of our work began to overlap around ways we're mobilizing nationally yeah. around policy issues. And, um, and she's just always been someone who is so, she's a practitioner and is so mm-hmm. thoughtful and she understands that she's part of a huge story, which is I think yeah. the part that I was one of the things I was most grateful for about in this conversation was, you know, she's now leading an organization that was founded by essentially the, the, the opposition to the Christian right of the seventies and eighties. And it really built this massive empire of single issue voting that, associated everything with one party and made a mess of things and Mm -hmm. you know she talked about 
the origin story. And I think it's so important for us, you know, as we think about this from dominant culture or in the United States, we're in the quote unquote empire. She quickly said, yeah, Ron Sider, the guy who founded the organization I lead was important. And Jim Wallace and Tony Campolo. And these are all characters. Probably those of you listening have heard of, mm-hmm. but it was the people like Samuel Escobar and Renee Padilla who are Latin American scholars and practitioners who those that have done some history here understand they were like provoking the status quo of the mm-hmm. white American evangelical throughout the fifties and into the sixties. And these guys like Jim Wallace and Ron Sider and Tony learned from them. And we're trying to apply mm-hmm. those learnings from the, the underside of power, if you will, yeah. to change the systems here. And I think that is so important. Where are we continuing to listen and learn from those on the underside of power Mm-hmm. and have that shape the way that we show up in the public square. And I know for me, as one who lives on the border, I mean, my learnings from my Mexican colleagues is some of the stuff that shaped me most or my Palestinian colleagues, because they, ha- they have no choice. They're fighting for their lives. And for me to say, okay, how do I leverage my privilege? Like the, the Jim Wallace's and the Ciders and the Campolos, that's a great opportunity. Right. Oh, gosh, I appreciate that, too. Because just even in the um, inclusion of uh, the leaders who, leaders of color who started the work and that like guys like Kim Polo um, and Ron Sider like are learning from, just even in the way that she re- brought that up, it reminds us to have a humility and a curiosity. And, and, and honestly, as a person of color, like look past the white dude, I know. like, and like, a lot and of like okay, yeah, a lot of like, dudes. like, what are they saying? And like, what, who are they learning from? And yeah. then honoring that work and that voice. I don't think that's something that we have been trained to do. Mm. Um, and so I, I appreciate you, her bringing it up and then you like in our learning time, um, or sorry, her bringing it up. And then you, even in the conversation, reminding us, bringing us back to the importance of that. Cause I think that yeah. that is a practice we don't have of doing that investigative work. Sure. Um, and to that end, I also was thinking like what she, she brought up something or a posture towards um, our social action or our political engagement that I don't think we talk about a lot. And it's this kind of a holistic life, like our whole, we bring our whole selves to the voting booth, but also that means that the voting booth is a part of our whole spiritual formation. So like, Mm -hmm. it's not just like this thing that we do where I think as a, as a Christian who's been formed in evangelicalism and a Christian who lives in the West, I'm very good at compartmentalizing a lot of things that have to do with my spiritual formation. I pray before a meal, I listen to worship music or raise my hands at church, like, Mm -hmm. like, it's very good for us. It's very easy to just kind of compartmentalize. And she's saying, no, 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 no. Our social action and by extension, our vote and how we choose our vote is part of our spiritual formation. And so um, we should approach the way that we plan for to vote as a practice, as a part of our discipleship. So how does our prayer life affect our vote? How does, um, got community and sitting across the table how does that influence our vote what's our picture of god you know how does our picture of god influence our vote what is our picture of the other the imago day how does that influence our vote it's it's such a holistic way of approaching it that i appreciate yes Um, it ups the stakes but it also makes it it also is encouraging to me because anything that has to do with my spiritual formation also means that the holy spirit is there to empower Mm -hmm. and equip me and so i'm not doing it alone yeah. 
and, and to correct us too, right? When we, I mean, we get in yes. the political space, our egos can start flaring up and it's about winning yeah. more than anything else. Yeah. And so for, yeah. spiritual formation is a helpful, is a helpful guide to that end. I mean, do you have a yeah. practice in mind for us? So I love that she brought up Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the world, because yeah. that is, I feel like in our conversations, John, I don't know if you've noticed this, but most of our guests have brought us back to the local and the small Yeah. when it talks to how we are, how we vote, how we are um, in the public, in the public square. And so I would say that the practice I am going to engage in this week and that I invite our listeners into is a prayer walk in our GDA. Uh, like what is do a walk in your particular neighborhood. Like I know that like four blocks away from here, um, there's a Hmong community and there are some murals that re- that kind of remind us of the history of this community. Mm-hmm. I'm going to go and stand in front of those mur- murals and pray and ask yeah. God to help me um, discern how to use my vote on behalf of the people who live in that particular neighborhood. Yes. So I'm going to invite our listeners to go to a place in our Judea where we can stand and pray and ask God how to use our vote on That's a local so level. Good. Okay, uh, we're getting practical here, friends. So take <laughs> advantage of this. Uh, this is this is how we reshape how we show up uh, in constructive and healing ways. So thanks for listening in. And as always, uh, jump into the show notes, go to the website, globalimmerse.org and download the PDF practice guide. And with that, we send you with this blessing. May we stand on the shoulders of those who have gone before us and enter the ballot box, understanding that every vote is a prayer. Thanks for being with us.